something needs to happen, then changes need to be made. Tonight on Global News Hour, vigils in both Canada and Australia to remember a BC woman in Sydney, how the case is putting a spotlight on domestic violence. And then. Always, always smiling, always in a good mood. Thousands gather in Vanderhoof to remember Madison Scott, a community now healing after her body was found this week. Plus. You know, got into trouble trying to make it to their destination. A deadly weekend on the water, a safety warning from officials to exercise caution as a mini heat wave is on the way. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Grieving friends and family of a BC woman are gathering in Surrey at this hour, trying to come to terms with her sudden and tragic death in Australia. Reporter Kamal Karamali is live in Surrey tonight with the latest. Kamal? The vigil for Tatiana Dohateru got underway about an hour ago here in Holland Park in Surrey, just across the street from where she lived before she moved to Australia. Now, friends and family here uh, just uh, lighting candles. They have signs and they're planning a balloon release here as well, trying to remember the person that they say was kind, sweet. As you can see, they've released balloons into the sky in her remembrance. Uh, she was beloved by these friends and family, many describing her as a sweet individual and that she will be dearly missed. As well as I'm holding a candlelight for her, uh, praying to just, you know, release her, just let her be free of the pain that she's been going through for so long. Why is that important to you to have that prayer for um, You know, I know she'd do it for me and no one should ever suffer like this. She suffered enough, for, enough while she was alive. For her, I, I wish that she never feels the pain that she felt ever again. And I hope she knows that we're all here and we're going to rally to make sure that her son's okay. There was also a candlelight vigil in the suburb of Sydney, Australia, where the mother of a four-year-old lived an emotional evening. Friends and family there also hugged and cried. People who didn't even know her also attended. Tatiana's body was found in her apartment in Liverpool in another suburb in Sydney on May 27th, just over a week ago. An emergency call was actually made to police the day before, but no name or unit number was given, so it took police 20 hours to find which apartment Dohateru was in. By the time they found her, she was dead. Her estranged husband, Danny Zayeth, is accused of 18 domestic violence offenses, according to Australia's Channel 9 News, after Dohateru was found dead inside her apartment. But the 28-year-old has not been charged over her death. On Friday, he appeared in court and was denied bail. Her friends allege that Zayeth and their four-year-old son were in the apartment unit when police arrived. Meanwhile, the family's lawyer and Tatiana's uh, family lawyer says the vigil in Australia Sunday was in hopes of finding justice for all victims of domestic violence. By holding this vigil, we're calling people to arms. We're asking people to remember and to take note. We have lost so many lives just this week alone, and it's not okay. 
And so we've also heard uh, Tatiana's father is here saying the family is shaken. We also know a GoFundMe page has been uh, put up for Tatiana Dohateru's family so that her parents can make their way to Australia as well as bring her body back up to Canada and, and create a bit of an education fund for their four-year-old son. Back over to you. All right, thank you, Kamal. That's Kamal Karamali reporting live for us tonight from Surrey. It's been one week since the remains of Madison Scott were found on a Vanderhoof property 12 years after she disappeared from a nearby lake. As the RCMP investigation continues, the community came together this weekend in an overwhelming show of support for Scott's family. Kristen Robinson reports. Some 2,000 people filled the field at Necheco Valley Secondary School in Vanderhoof Saturday, a candlelight vigil for Madison Scott, drawing a crowd almost half the size of the community of 4,500. Scott loved hockey and baseball, and attendees were invited to wear jerseys in her honor. A local indigenous group drumming Scott home. It's the start of a healing journey that um, we can come together, be there for each other. Former classmates remembered Scott's vibrant personality. Her whole demeanor, always, always smiling, always in a good mood and such a spark. We were sharing lots of pictures and memories and talking and it's just a diff different feeling. I don't really know how to put a finger on it. Exactly 12 years after she vanished, Scott's remains were discovered on a rural property on the southeast edge of Vanderhoof where RCMP continue to execute a search warrant. A heavy police presence remains at the property in the 6500 block of South Slope Road, with an RCMP checkpoint halfway up the driveway, unmarked trailers and vehicles. Scott's parents never gave up hope their daughter would be found. Started day, or minute, early minute, by she's not part of... Part of what we are. Scott was last seen around 3 a.m. on May 28, 2011 at Hogsback Lake, southeast of Vanderhoof, where she was celebrating a friend's birthday. When the 20-year-old didn't return home, her parents drove to the lake the next day and found her truck with her purse still inside and a flattened tent. Our initial search efforts were around the lake and the trails, and uh, what was significant on that first day was the lack of clues other than the truck and tent located. The rural property where Scott was found is about 18 kilometers away from Hogsback Lake. We were deeply disappointed that we didn't find her in those first few days. The emotions of, uh, <laughs> of, of everything that you experience in a search that, uh, that doesn't end in, in finding someone, um, all of those continued for 12 years. RCMP say the rural property search is ongoing and will take as long as is required. Foul play has not been ruled out in Scott's death. No charges have been laid. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The family of Suleiman Kewar, a 23-year-old Vancouver man missing for more than a week, held a search for him this afternoon, both on land and on water. His family, friends and volunteers launching their search at Granville Island today. They've been looking for him since he disappeared, and today's focus was on the water. There were at least 32 people searching by kayak, then heading east to Broadway Street. Kewar was last seen on May 25th while at Mansion Nightclub near West Georgia and Thurlow Streets around 1 a.m., he told his mother he was on his way home, but he never showed up. 
we're worried sick. You know, our brother's been missing for a long time. Um, we have no trace. We're, hope, we're hoping to do our best today, and we're going to stay focused on finding him. Um, other than that, anyone who's helping, really, really, again, thank you. Uh, you know, thank the Vancouver police as well, who've been doing a great job. We're trying to leave no stones unturned, so we're checking every single area in this jurisdiction. The family has also set up a GoFundMe page to help pay for a private investigator and kayaks for the water searches. With the unofficial start of summer, there are renewed calls this weekend to stay safe near or in the water. This after a young man drowned in Rice Lake in North Vancouver on Saturday. Grace Key reports. A tragic weekend in our area waters. RCMP are confirming a 26-year-old man drowned in North Vancouver's Rice Lake Saturday afternoon. Friends tried to revive him halfway out into the lake on a rock. Our crews came along, found them out in the water. Two of our members swam out got the person that was in peril and got him to shore. Despite efforts from friends and then firefighters and paramedics on shore, the man did not survive. It appears from the information that we've gathered at the scene, uh, the patient was not a strong swimmer. Uh, going out in the lake, he was following some friends into the water and then you know, got into trouble trying to make it to their destination and unfortunately went under and drowned. Life-Saving Society of BC, a not-for-profit organization, and lifeguarding experts say know your ability and if you're not comfortable in water above the shoulders, then wear a flotation device or life jacket and have a site inspection before you head into the water. Just because I can swim here in a crystal clear pool with lane lines and edges where I can sit my water bottle doesn't mean that I can swim there in an open water lake. So open water is different. Every single time you step your foot into open water, it is a different body of water than you stepped your foot in before. Drowning is a leading cause of accidental death for children ages 1 to 5. People are advised to assign one person to watch children. That means no cell phones, pets, or other distractions. And those large inflatables are not life jackets. It is so easy to become a life or a lifeguard. You can visit our webpage at lifesaving.bc.ca and look for the courses that we can provide you. There's, we offer first aid courses, bronze medallion, which was your entryway into life-saving to be a lifeguard. There are some 500 fatal drownings a year in Canada, and with summer around the corner, experts are reminding everyone to stay safe. Grace Key, Global News. Now, more people will be seeking relief from the heat later this week with the return of a truly summer-like weather. Now, meteorologist Yvonne Schell joins us now with details of a mini heat wave. Yvonne? Yeah, Julie, it's been hot over the weekend, but it's going to get even hotter. We've got this ridge of high pressure that's building and strengthening, and this will be the big weather story that we're following. It'll likely start to pick up Tuesday through Thursday will be some of the hottest days, and the peak of the heat along the south coast will be on a Wednesday. Here's the temperature trend just to give you an ideal away from the water this is the Fraser Valley will be into the low 30s peak of the heat on Wednesday but still very hot and sunny on Thursday and then a bit of a reprieve on the way should start to kick in by our Friday the interior will be similar as well so be prepared for the heat some of those temperatures will be into the mid and upper 30s potentially we could see some daily temperature records fall as we look ahead so it is going to be very hot and dry Wednesday leading in through our Thursday for the interior the peak of the heat will be on Thursday we do have some active weather for the northeastern corners of the province. I'll have that coming up very shortly. Julie? All right, thank you, Yvonne. BC Premier David Eby is now on the tail end of a trade mission to Asia. Our Richard Zussman spoke with the Premier earlier today about the trip as well as the health care crisis at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Richard? 
Yeah, Premier David Eby Julie just arrived in Singapore. It is the last stop on his three-city tour through Asia. Uh, and the big focus so far has been around housing. So he just left Seoul, Korea, where he met with the Seoul Housing Corporation. Seoul has many of the similar challenges that Vancouver has around uh, finding places for people to live uh, that are affordable. The Seoul Housing Corporation is run by the by the government there in Seoul. And the big thing they focused in on is how they can properly match housing with the individuals who need it most and how to control those costs. So the Premier says there's a lot of lessons learned there. In Tokyo, which was just before Seoul in terms of EB's uh, visit, uh, they met with a company uh, called Dato, and they are willing to start working in other places around the world. They focus heavily on leasing land from uh, individuals who own it, building rental properties, leasing it back for 30 years. Let's have a listen here to the Premier. They operate the building and provide fixed payments to the property owner. Uh, it's a very innovative model. Uh, uh, they operate 1.2 million units in Japan. Uh, they're looking at the potential of international expansion. And, uh, and they're looking at British Columbia as a place where they can, uh, can use this model. And I couldn't turn down an opportunity to ask the Premier about the biggest crisis going on in the province right now, arguably, which is at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Uh, EB mentioned some interim measures that were put in place by the Health Minister on Friday. We should be getting more details about that over the next few days. As the Health Minister, Adrian Dix, Dr. Victoria Lee from Fraser Health, Jim Sinclair, the board chair, meet with frontline workers and administrators at Surrey Memorial tomorrow and Tuesday. But EB promises they are getting closer to a deal with hospitalists and they are focused on ensuring that people in Surrey continue to receive the care that they need, Julie. All right, something to watch. Thank you so much, Richard. A major road closure near Surrey Memorial Hospital this morning. Surrey RCMP say a vehicle struck and sheared a power pole just after one this morning on 96th Avenue between 132nd and 134th Street. The driver took off and police haven't been able to locate him. The route was temporarily closed to traffic as crews worked to restore power for more than 1,000 customers. Coming up on Global News Hour, is this a case of a bureaucratic error by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans? Why one indigenous fish harvester says his livelihood is being unfairly targeted after a raid was carried out at a community-supported fishery. And later, they're short, but they are fast. The corgi race at Spanish Banks that's positively the cutest competition of the spring when we come back. Lower Mainland Seafood Company and an indigenous fisher are both at a loss after thousands of pounds of recently caught fish were seized by officers with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. As Travis Prasad reports, they believe the recent strike by the federal government unionized employees was a factor in the sudden seizure. So this is where they came in. Sonia Strobel retraces an encounter at the Skipper Auto Community Fishery she calls unnerving and intimidating. It's a very intimidating experience to have five large people with bulletproof vests and guns walk into your place of work where uh, we have a very small under 400 square foot space here. On Friday, Strobel says fishery officers raided her False Creek business looking for several thousand pounds of Pacific halibut. They claimed she bought it from an unlicensed Vancouver Island fisherman. 
Officers ended up at Skipper Auto's cold storage facility in Cloverdale, where they seized the halibut valued at $20,000. All of it was caught in late April by Port Hardy resident Doug Costering. Doug is a Numgeese Nation fisherman and he leases a license from his band. These licenses are owned by the band. And every year the band transfers the license onto the boat of the fisherman who's gonna fish that. This year, Strobel says the Department of Fisheries and Oceans was slow to process Costering's license due to the PSAC government strike. The delay didn't come to light until several days after the halibut was caught. They immediately corrected it and explained this was just an error that happened because of the backlog of the strike. Uh, however, Conservation and Protection has deemed this fish to be illegally caught and is confiscating it. In addition, Costering says the DFO has determined he's maxed out his quota for halibut, a big blow to his livelihood. It's a substantial amount. It's uh, over $20,000. And, uh, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't made a delivery in a month. He's now considering legal action to recoup the lost income and money he's had to spend. Crew is paid. I paid my fees to DFO, the registration fees, the, the hail-in fees, the offloading fees. They had no problem taking all the fees. Global News did not get a response from the DFO in time for broadcast. Meanwhile, customers are wondering when they'll see a fresh shipment of Costering's halibut. You know, we don't have his halibut in this year, and our members are saying, when are we going to be able to get Doug's halibut? And, you know, I'm just showing you an example of an old piece here, but uh, they're all waiting for his fresh halibut of the year, and, and they can't get it. Travis Prasad, Global News. The White Rock Pier is an iconic destination in the community, but for some people living with disabilities, it may not be accessible. Local resident Kieran Ojale says the planks on the pier are spaced too far apart, so much so that her wheels can sometimes fall through, causing her to tip out of her chair. People with walkers are having the same experience as a result of the planks. White Rock's mayor maintains the pier is accessible to all. When I turn, when I go to turn around, my wheels fall through as well. So um, it's, it's pretty scary. Some easy fixes out there. Um, I've been to other parks where they have placed steel grate mats um, or other material um, only on part of the, the pier. I've lived here for over 40 years and I've used that pier, like I say, with a baby stroller or, in, or pushing someone in a, in a wheelchair. Ojale says the pier appears to look accessible to the naked eye and is hoping that greater public consultation will help improve it. The Vancouver Park Board is warning beachgoers to take extra caution at two busy beaches which are without lifeguards today. Both Spanish Banks West and Sunset Beach are unguarded due to lifeguard staffing shortages. In April, the Park Board said it was looking to hire more lifeguards and encourage people to take up the profession, highlighting the pay. Indoor gigs start at $25 to $30 an hour, while outdoor positions start at nearly $31 an hour. Last summer, several of the city's pools and beaches had to temporarily close or reduce services due to a shortage of lifeguards. Still to come on the news hour, China's defense minister defending their actions. This after China sent a warship to narrowly cross the path of an American destroyer and a Canadian frigate in the Taiwan Strait. The latest on the tension there. 
Plus, an update on the wildfire situation in Nova Scotia as some evacuees return home while others wait to see the extent of the damage when we come back. Saturday's incident captured by a global news crew in the Taiwan Strait has spawned a blame game and escalated tensions in the region. HMCS Montreal has continued on with its mission and Chinese ships are keeping an eye on its next moves. Mackenzie Gray is aboard the Canadian frigate with the latest. HMCS Montreal has left the Taiwan Strait, but the busy seas we saw there have followed us on our journey. As we move into the East China Sea, so does the People's Liberation Army Navy, continuing to shadow the Canadian-American warships on a joint mission, traveling through international waters. But the traffic increased today, first with a pod of dolphins alongside the Montreal, then with an Australian and a Japanese warship meeting up for a new mission. Essentially, we're going to be just working with uh, multinational partners to promote the free and open Indo-Pacific region. The Chinese ship launched one of their helicopters, circling the Montreal twice before flying off and actually not viewed as concerning by the Canadians. They'll send out their helicopters to see who's operating off their coast, figure out who we are, where we are, and they try to figure out what we're doing, but we try to keep that to ourselves. The new exercise pre-planned, and not a response to yesterday's close call between USS Chang'un and a Chinese warship in the Taiwan Strait. A maneuver the Chinese defense minister defended. Li Shengfu calling the joint Canada-US mission a provocation to China saying the United States is truly the primary cause of tensions in the South China Sea. But our exclusive video from yesterday tells another story. The Chinese warship steaming across from the left, cutting off the Chenghun only 150 yards from its bow, after telling the Americans on the radio to move or get hit. The Chenghun needing to slow down to avoid a collision. American Indo-Pacific Command calling the maneuver unsafe and a violation of maritime rules. This is a clearly provocative and, and arguably unprofessional uh, event. Um, and I would say that the, you know, the Chinese captain knew exactly what he was doing. This was not an accident. As you can see behind us, the Montreal has met up with another friend, the Canadian refueling ship, the Asterix, which is providing diesel and other supplies for the final leg of our journey. Kenzie Gray, Global News, on board HMCS Montreal in the East China Sea. Crews in Nova Scotia battling wildfires have made significant progress as rain continues to fall across the province. But one fire, which happens to be the largest one on record, is still out of control. While a number of evacuees have been allowed to return home, others remain displaced. Brittany Rosen has more. It's kind of sad until you got there and once you got a glimpse of the house, she's all still there. <laughs> Happy face. After a distressing evacuation in Shelburne, Michael Peterson is finally home. Even though they told you you could go home, you didn't know if there was anything to go home to. His house untouched by fire or smoke damage. When I was coming home, I saw the fire. I said, I don't believe this. Helen and Emily were also forced to evacuate earlier this week. They returned last night. It was really a sense of relief. While residents here on this street have since been able to return home, other families in Shelburne are anxiously waiting for the same opportunity. I say it every day, every hour, I want to go home. Down the street at an evacuation centre, residents are on standby for the green light to return. Doris and Henry Jackson watched as others got the call last night. The happiness, the joy, the peace. I don't even think they even waited. They literally almost ran out of here to yeah. go home, just to go home. 
The province is now down to five active wildfires, but despite consistent heavy downpours, the record-sized inferno in Shelburne remains out of control, burning nearly 25,000 hectares. We're, we're changed province after these fires in, in many ways. Uh, emotional scars run deep and will take time. Amidst the billows of devastation, there is a beacon of hope this smoke will soon settle thanks to the resiliency of firefighters. They're my heroes. I mean, without them, you know, we would have lost so much more. Brittany Rosen, Global News, Shelburne, Nova Scotia. Now in B.C., two wildfires are burning out of control near Harrison Lake this weekend. The Chehalis River fire is about 10 kilometers west of Harrison Lake and more than a kilometer north of Chehalis Lake. It's been assessed at six hectares. Another fire is about half a hectare in size and located about one kilometer west of Harrison Lake. Both are suspected to be human-caused. Crews in the air and on the ground are fighting the fire. The entire coastal fire center is in a moderate to high danger rating right now. Coming up on the news hour, what's being done to save the western purple martin. Plus, the long-awaited reopening of Kitts Pool, Vancouver's only saltwater pool when we come back. Squamish locals are coming together to help save a colony of western purple martin birds in their community. A group of Squamish residents is building a structure to provide housing and nesting for the blue-listed species. Starting in 2015, nest boxes had been mounted near the Squamish estuary, but when some locals got word they were slated for removal, they quickly came up with a new plan. Today, volunteers installed the new boxes. All of a sudden, uh, we were informed from government that these pilings, these creosote pilings, uh, were going to get pulled out. And it was quite short notice, and they said, you know, you need to move your, your bird boxes, right? And so there was a bit of panic. Well, it's been every day for the last two months uh, in, my, uh, in my yard, uh, fabricated, prefabricating all the parts, making sure everything fits together. C-SPAN shipyards helped fund some of the materials for the structure. I'm wishing them all the best, Yvonne. Don't you agree? Yes, I do. I do. All right. The heat is on, Julie. This is the big weather story that we're following. Thank you and good evening, everyone. Now we're tracking the heat in the coming days, so be prepared. It'll be very hot and dry. But in the long-range forecast, we may have a reprieve, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. A quick glance outside. We're currently sitting at 18. We still have a breeze. Areas closer to the water this evening, overnight, anywhere between 50 and potentially up to 60 kilometers per hour. Here's a quick snapshot of a few other temperatures right across the province at this hour. 16 for Prince George. Good evening into Nelson at 29 and it's hot for areas near Kamloops with the current temperature sitting at 28. Castlegar the hot spot sitting at 32 degrees. Now in the coming days Tuesday through Thursday that's where we're tracking the mini heat wave. The, the peak of the temperatures for most areas along the south coast will be on Wednesday and for the interior we'll see it for a Wednesday and leading in towards our Thursday that we're getting into the mid 30s so be prepared. I also wanted to give a quick snapshot on Wednesday when we're seeing some of the peak of the heat. A few other spots. Castlegar getting up to 34 degrees, Prince George 33, and areas inland for the northern half of the province with Smithers getting up to 29. We do have some active weather at this hour, severe thunderstorm watches and warnings, and this is for the north.
corners. Areas near Fort Nelson, we do have the potential for very gusty winds, hail as well as intense downpours. We've got a line of thunderstorms. We're seeing that lightning strike just passing across the region. It'll start to ease off late this evening, but the area of concern is for the northeastern corners. Also, a special weather statement has been issued. Whitehorse and Dees Lake tonight and continuing in towards our Tuesday. 30 and up to 50 millimeters of rain as well as the snow level sitting at 900 meters is going to give us the increased risk of landslides, river rising, uh, rising rivers and lake levels. We're including Dees Lake and Telegraph Creek and if you're traveling along Highway 37, Jade City to Bob Quinn Lake will be included within that and also with the very hot and dry conditions or fire danger readings sitting anywhere between moderate to high. The northeastern corners we've got a few spotty areas that are sitting in extreme so please be very diligent in the coming days. Isolated showers for the northern half of the province will be for the morning hours easing off towards the afternoon. Hot and sunny for the southern interior but even hotter with the peak of the temperatures Wednesday Thursday. Across the island it'll be a touch cooler if you're by the water. It'll be similar for the lower mainland. Away from the water tomorrow up to 23 degrees but the heat is on on Wednesday. We'll see that bump in temperatures 24 away from the water up to 30. Julie. Ooh, all right. Thanks Yvonne. Well, one of Vancouver's most popular public outdoor pools has now reopened for the season. Come on through and uh, have a great time. Dozens of people taking advantage of the first public swim at the pool since last year. Kitts Pool is the city's only saltwater pool and had a delayed reopening this year due to repairs after a storm last January. I've been coming here for 10 years and my dad went swimming here in the 1930s. I guess so. I think this is the best thing Vancouver has to offer other than uh, riding around the seawall on my bike. And it's not open enough, so we need to tell, tell our mayor to uh, keep this open longer. The park board recommends pool users register for swim slots online. They can be booked starting at noon, three days in advance. Drop-ins are also available. Meanwhile, Maple Grove and Hillcrest pools are set to open June 15th. Oh. Long laps in that pool. <laughs> I like the short ones where I say, yeah, I did a lap, but it sounded like, yeah. like a kiddie pool. 15 yards. Well, maybe slightly bigger. <laughs> but no, I do those. Kiddie pool. Yes. Hi, you're here with sports. What's oh, yeah, going yeah, on? Yeah, sports. Okay, we're going to take a look back at the uh, Whitecaps dramatic uh, comeback draw. In soccer, there's a dramatic comeback draw. That's what the Whitecaps did last night. So a uh, good point for them uh, against Sporting Kansas City. Memorial Cup finals going on as we speak. We'll uh, tell you about that as well. And uh, Blue Jay fans, they've turned it around after a bit of a rough go the past few weeks. We'll have highlights of their sweep over the Mets coming up as well. Ooh, looking forward to it. All right, thanks so much. Well, coming up on Global News Hour, a master of Chinese calligraphy. Remembering the man behind a half century of beautiful work on display at UBC's Asian Center when we come back. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. For decades, calligrapher Yim C shared the mastery of his art. But five years after his death, he's still giving back to the community through the legacy of his pieces now on display. Here's Jay Durant with This is BC. Over a half century of work is on display at UBC's Asian Centre. Yim Si was a prolific Chinese calligrapher who inspired many people with his creations. We had a master in our midst and masters need to be brought forward, remembered 
and to have their legacy continued on as they are with Ian's work with his students. After moving to Vancouver in his early 20s, he enrolled in psychology at UBC before spending two months studying the styles and techniques of calligraphy during a two-month break one summer in Hong Kong. Introduced him to a, a great master that was his teacher, Mr. Lam Chen Set. But when you're looking at calligraphy, you are looking at a history that goes back to the Han Dynasty, which is before the Common Era. So you're looking at thousands of years. Through his art, he made many lasting friendships and often gifted his pieces to raise money for charity. And if you want to make um, a donation, I'd love for you to pay it forward to a charity of choice. So in that way, he was very generous with his art. In 2004, Yim was diagnosed with prostate cancer and spent the next 14 years bravely battling the disease. Mm -hmm. Your big grandpa, mm. your big grandma. He was courageous. Calligraphy helped him a lot. He kept teaching students. It says every day is a good day. Cards are on sale now with proceeds going to the BC Cancer Foundation in memory of a master calligrapher who spent five decades sharing his gift with so many around BC. Above all, I think Yim really loved living and he expressed that sort of joy through not only his art, but through the connections he made with um, the people around him. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Still to come in sports, a draw for the Whitecaps against Kansas City. But the coach of the Whitecaps is staying positive ahead of their next game. There's much more with Barry when we come back. Come face to face with one of the world's most famous predators. At the Royal BC Museum, experience the life of Sue, the most complete and best preserved Tyrannosaurus Rex ever found. Don't miss the multimedia show on Sue's cast and learn about how Sue survived their challenging and dangerous world. Celebrate coastal culture at the Steepson Spot Prawn and Seafood Celebration. Meet the returning boats at Fisherman's Wharf to purchase the catch of the day, learn recipes from professional chefs, and visit participating local restaurants to indulge in the fresh, locally caught seafood. Our BC is brought to you by Return It Express. Got empty drink containers? Don't trash them. Make sure to hold on to them until you can return it for recycling. Ah, Barry is back. We're what talking about prawns. We were I've not heard of spot prawns, <laughs> but I guess they have spots Very on them. Very tasty. All right, all right. Speaking of that, no, no segue for spot prawns, but I'm going to start with some soccer. Thanks, Julie. Uh, the Whitecaps almost suffered a rare home loss last night, but a late penalty from Ryan Gauld rescued a point against Sporting Kansas City, keeping the Whitecaps in sixth place in the West and proving they've got the maturity to stick with it when things aren't necessarily going their way. Originally, a penalty was not awarded when Daber Caicedo was brought down in the box, but eventually the referee got it right. Look for Vite, Vite. The little toe contact right there. And it gets taken down. It's a penalty. It's a penalty. They're going to the spot. We haven't seen a white cap penalty taker this season. Ryan Gold, all the pressure on Vancouver's top player. Gold to level the match at one. Yes! Ryan Gold 
I'm very satisfied. I think we deserved and the point. I think we deserved even more, to be honest. I think we played more than them. And, uh, but losing would have been very uh, unfair. I think that we're a little bit frustrated because we could have won. But at the same time, I think that these are points that are important at the end for, uh, to, to get into the playoff. So Wednesday, we're going to be, I would say, more brilliant than today from, in terms of uh, fitness, I would say, from, uh, from minute one. And uh, there will be tough choices to do because it's also 18 guys and not 20 guys. So we'll have to uh, really, really, really see who's the guy, who are the guys that uh, can be the readier in order to perform in the final. And then I don't want to just put like a lot of... And then we have the best team in MLS playing Saturday. So that's, it's going it's gonna to be hard for sure. Yeah, the Whitecaps have another busy week ahead. You heard Vanny refer to the Canadian Championship Wednesday at BC Place against Montreal, and then they host MLS leading Cincinnati on Saturday. Cincinnati has 12 wins, three draws, one loss through 16 games, far and away the best record in MLS. Memorial Cup final from Kamloops, Seattle, and Quebec. Remparts beat the T-Birds 3-1 in the round robin. Coquitlam's Thomas Millich hoping to lead the T-Birds to their first ever Memorial Cup. Quebec scores first, though, two-on-one, and it's Sevalod Komarov beating Millich top glove. 1-0 Remparts, and this Quebec team is stingy. They don't give up a whole lot. Matthew Barzell in the house. Islander star is a former Seattle Thunderbird. Doesn't like watching this. Remparts on the rush. James Malatesta fires his fifth of the tournament. 2-0 Quebec at that point, and it looks good for Patrick Waugh. And his team, they're up 4-0 late in the third. This is Wah's final year of coaching. He's already won a Mem Cup in 2006. Game two, NBA Finals from Denver. Nuggets looking to go two up in Miami. Heat, an 11-point lead in the first, but Denver roared back. The Canadian Jamal Murray hits the tough corner three. Murray's first bucket of the game, and it lit a fire under him. Later in the second, Murray... Great defense with the steal, takes it strong, fights through the contact, throws it down, basket, and one, a three-point play for Jamal Murray, and he wasn't done. One-on-one versus Bam Adebayo. Murray with the drive, and then the step-back fadeaway nails it. What a shot. Murray's pumped, and the Nuggets lead it at last look, 71-66 in the third. John Schneider's Blue Jays playing much better baseball after a a very tough stretch in mid to late May. Looking for the sweep against the Mets in New York. This helps when Vladdy Guerrero swings the bat like that. Clubs the line drive homer. Just his second big fly in a month. Jays built up a 4-0 lead. Yusei Kikuchi had a solid start over five innings. But Nate Pearson could not hold the lead. Gave up two solo homers in the sixth. This one to Starling Marte. It's tied at four, but the Jays respond right away in the seventh. Brandon Belt, who after a very slow start to the year is really swinging a hot bat, drills this one to dead center. 427-foot blast for the two-run homer, and the Jays sweep the Mets. Toronto now 33-27, still two games out of the wild card, but playing much better baseball again. Final round of the Memorial Tournament. Jack Nicholas with a major type setup this week. Very tough course conditions. Rory McIlroy tied for the lead when the day began, then took the lead when he holed out for birdie from the rough, but Rory imploded the rest of the way. Seven bogeys over his final 14. He finished tied seventh at three under. Meanwhile, Scotty Scheffler 
put the pedal down. The world number one, five back when the day began. Tee shot on the par 316th, almost aces it. 567. He had the clubhouse lead at 6 under, but it was Denny McCarthy who took over the lead, got it to 8 under, and he stayed there thanks to a number of clutch par putts, including this one on the par 515th. Norway's Victor Hovland was two back, but gets this unlikely birdie at the 17th. This was the only birdie of the day. 66 players. The only one comes from Hovland. He posts 7 under, and when McCarthy bogeyed 18, they went to a two-man playoff, playing 18 again. McCarthy, another long par tester. This time, it stays out. So now Hovland for the win, and he will knock it in. Hovland gets his fourth career PGA Tour win, and when you win the Memorial, you get a golden handshake with the Golden Bear himself, Jack Nicholas. Special moment for Hovland. Next week, it's the RBC Canadian Open from Toronto. French Open Sunday, men's fourth round. Top seed Carlos Alcaraz of Spain taking on Italy's Lorenzo Musetti, the 17 seed, a really good player. But Alcaraz just took him apart. Opening set, Alcaraz serving at 5-3. And he will chase down the Musetti drop shot and slam it for the winner. First set to Carlos, 6-3. Second set, Alcaraz will crush the ace on set point and... He wins the set as well. One of six aces. Takes the second set. 6-2. More domination in the third. This guy's such an athlete. He's got all the shots. Chases down another dropper. Pushes it down the line for the winner. And Carlos Alcaraz on his way to the quarters where he will meet Stefanos Tsitsipas next as he wins in straight sets today. Meanwhile, two-time French Open champ and 22-time Grand Slam champ Novak Djokovic also had an easy day taking on Peru's Juan Pablo Varijas. Djokovic barely worked up a sweat, won the first set, then in set two, smashes the backhand winner, took the second set 6-2, and then on match point, Joker's going to play a little serve and volley. He takes it in less than two hours. He and Alcaraz on a collision course to meet in the semifinals, and if they meet, that will be epic. And we'll finish with the Spanish Grand Prix and another virtuoso performance from Red Bull's Max Verstappen. Really only got challenged off the start. Ferrari's Carlos Sainz aggressively looking to pass, but Verstappen holds his nerve, kept the lead, and was never really in danger of losing the race at all. Montreal's Lance Stroll also had a good start, went from fifth to the third on the opening lap. But on lap eight, Lewis Hamilton showing everyone he had a lot of car today, blows past Stroll. Hamilton would finish second, joined by Mercedes' teammate and fellow Brit George Russell, who was third. Stroll was sixth, but Verstappen won by 24 seconds over Hamilton. Verstappen's fifth win in seven starts. He was second in those other two races. And next up is uh, Montreal and the Canadian Grand Prix in two weeks' time. That's it for sports, and back to you, Julie. All right, thanks, Barry. Well, back to our top story, a vigil in Holland Park tonight to remember the life of Tatiana Dokoturu, a BC woman found dead inside her apartment in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> family attending along with friends at the Surrey Vigil. Dokoturu's father says he was overcome with emotion seeing so many people attend to honor his daughter. He says it found it heartwarming to be surrounded by so much love and support. I realize now that she had hundreds, maybe thousands of friends, people who just adored her because she was so nice and kind and, ge and generous with people and gentle. And she was such a great mom. Uh, 
that that's really important. Stay with us. There's more after the break. Global BC is proud to partner with the 2023 Race for the Kids. Join the run in person or online and help BC Children's Hospital beat childhood illness across the province. Race for the Kids in partnership with Global BC. Vancouver's Spanish banks went to the dogs today as costumed corgis gathered for the annual Corgi Beach Day. Yes, this is her hula outfit. And she's uh, last uh, last speed up. She was a uh, Queen's Guard. There she is. And uh, next year, I think she's going to be a Red Surge. And <laughs> great. <laughs> she's really excited too. <laughs> <laughs> Before the races, there was a costume contest. Leia beat out the UPS guy, a hedge, Sherlock Holmes, and a cow to win the prize. Her human spent 16 hours making her queen costume last Halloween. This year, close to 100 corgis raced in 10 heats. The winner, defending champion Gustavo, who is now moving on from the big leagues. This is his second year winning, so he's retiring after this because I don't think it's fair to, the, to do another one. I always say if it's good enough for the queen, it's good enough for me. We're a weird bunch, but you know, it's, we love to dress them up and take them out and show them off, and everybody seems to love a corgi, so I mean, why not? <laughs> oh my gosh. The queen outfit one is great. I know a few of them were barking because they were not happy with their, with their costumes. Yeah, with, with there were the a couple costumes of replacement. <laughs> Uh, with, with just their actual costumes. Like, I am ridiculous. Get me out of this thing. <laughs> There's a couple good ones, a couple that were maybe not as great. <laughs> I thought they were all fantastic. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being with us. Have a great night. But you're not a corgi. <laughs> <laughs>